In life, it's so easy to get distracted. I remember as a child when my mum was learning to drive and my dad was sitting in the front seat and my sister and I in the back, we were on a bit of a practice run. I'm not sure it was ever a great idea to go and practice with your husband or your wife sitting next to you. But my mum was doing really well and then all of a sudden we were driving past a beautiful roundabout with a lovely display of flowers and my mum said, oh, look at those lovely flowers over there. And before we knew where we were, the whole car with us in it was in the middle of this roundabout, in the middle of the flowers with the rest of the traffic driving round and round us. Some distractions are minor and they're easy to overcome. Others are more serious and they have serious consequences if we don't deal with them. And today we have our next exciting instalment in the life of Nehemiah. And we're gonna learn about the serious distractions that came his way and how he overcame them and how we can keep our eyes in the right place so that we fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives. So Nehemiah and a small group of fellow Jews are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. There's a real battle over this city. That battle continues to this day. And we can also apply this to our own cities and to our lives as well. Well, they faced and we also face opposition from the outside, as we read in chapter four. And then they had to sort out some issues with justice and compassion on the inside. That's also true for us. We thought about that on our Compassion Sunday. Nehemiah could well have felt after all this hard work, well, it's time for a bit of a rest, but that is not how the enemy of our souls works. Because yes, I'm talking about Satan, about the one the Bible calls the devil, Satan, the one who Jesus said came to steal, kill and destroy. He's real. Our enemy, the devil, will see any weak spots. He'll pile on the pressure, especially when he sees believers working together and building Jesus' kingdom. So we'll see next the barrage of attack that then comes against Nehemiah again with one purpose to distract him. If he loses focus, then the work will fail. If he leaves the wall, the work will fail. So what were the enemy's tactics? How did he respond? And how can we relate that to us here and now? How can we respond to our enemies? So first we're gonna read Nehemiah chapter six, verse one to 16. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. 
They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realised that God had not sent him, but that he'd prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me, so I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed in the 25th of Ahol in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. Wow, we should have a bit of a whoop there, I think. This work had been done, it got finished. So at the beginning of that passage, they'd done well, the walls finished, but there were still gaps where the gates should be. So the enemies get busy again. We don't want these gates in place. Let's distract Nehemiah. Let's get him off track. So let's see their tactics and let's see Nehemiah's counterattack. Enemy tactic number one, sidetrack him. Sambalat and Geshem send a message. Let's meet in the plain of, oh no, oh no, says Nehemiah, by the way. But they were scheming to harm him. So if only they could get him away from the action, get him alone, then they could stop him. But Nehemiah's counterattack was, I refuse to lower myself. He realizes they're scheming to harm me, he says. So I sent messengers, I'm carrying on this project. Why should the work stop while I come down to you? I'm not getting down to your level. Note that Nehemiah doesn't even go himself. He sends messengers with a message. He says, I'm not even giving you the time of day, mate. I'm gonna send messengers. I'm not going to get away from this great project that I'm on. I'm not lowering myself. You can just get lost. Enemy tactic then came number two, pile on the pressure. Four times they sent the same message, it says. Our enemy knows that under pressure we can make bad decisions. We can give in to sin or wrong choices. The enemies are relentless, they're persistent, they wear him down, they want to break his resolve. It sounds quite harmless. Let's just meet in the villages. Well, surely that can't do any harm. But Nehemiah refuses to be pressurised. So Nehemiah's counterattack is, I will keep on keeping on. He says, each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah shows that he can also persist. He keeps his eyes on the great project. He repeats his message. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? No doubt he feels the pressure. No doubt he could have easily given in, but he's even more aware of his own calling and of what is most important. He's keeping close to God. And so God's voice is louder than these other voices. And he knows this is a trap. It's not only the enemy who can use repetition. So can we, I'm just gonna keep on keeping on. Then enemy tactic comes number three, tell lies. It's reported among the nations, say the enemies, that you're plotting to revolt. You're going to incite a revolution. You're about to become their king and you've appointed prophets to speak lies about you. 
And now they ramp up the pressure and they make it really personal against Nehemiah. Our enemy will ruthlessly attack our very person. He knows how to get to us. They tell him lies and they tell lies about him as well. He's accused of being a rebel, wanting power for himself, manipulating people, and he's threatened that the king of Judah might hear. But the aim is the same. The enemy's aim is just the same. Come and meet us, leave the work, be distracted. Nehemiah could easily be unsettled by this. Maybe he was a little bit worried about his reputation because he keeps saying throughout the book, Lord, remember me for what I've done. Remember them because they didn't do so well and so on. Maybe it was an area of weakness that the enemy knew. But again, he has a countermeasure. Nehemiah's counterattack, look up. He must have looked up to his God because he sees everything from a different perspective. Looking up means that he, he also looks down on the issue. He gets up with God, if you like, in, from his perspective and he sees it differently. He discerns what is going on underneath the words of the enemies. He says they were all trying to frighten us, thinking that their hands will get too weak for the work. They're just trying to wear us down. And he decides to come against them with the truth. We're not going to be worried about these lies. We're not going to be worn down by them and made weak. We will complete the task. Enemy tactic number four, intimidate him. They were all trying to frighten us, says Nehemiah here. They were all trying. There were many of them, many enemies, all wanted to bring fear, weakness, to stop the work. And Nehemiah has, has insight here into their plans. He has a powerful counterattack. He says, but I prayed. What a brilliant phrase, but I prayed. And what does he pray? He prays, now strengthen my hands. There was a man called Raymond Edmund who was about to die as a missionary from a fatal disease in Ecuador, in the junk, deep in the jungle. The doctor had said there's no hope for him and his wife had already started planning the funeral and so on. His uncle Joe knew nothing about this because this is, this is well before the days of mobile phones and they were out of civilization really. But he gets a sense deep within him that there's something that his his nephew is in danger, in real danger. And so he senses he really has to pray very strongly. Now he's at a conference in a different country, but Uncle Joe asks the whole conference to pray fervently. They all begin to pray. And people who were there on that day um, would say that they always remember the fervency of those prayers. They even missed their lunch, all of them. And then later in the afternoon, after they prayed for some hours, a deep peace descended on the whole group. And somehow they knew their prayers had been answered. On his deathbed, Raymond was actually having a wonderful experience of Jesus and Jesus' love, such that he said that in later life, he never, ever, ever once feared death. But as he was going up into God's arms, as it were, he sensed that he had to come back to the earth and he was sent back. He went on to be an influential and godly man. He was fully healed. And he was a mentor to Billy Graham, who said that he was the most unforgettable Christian that he's ever met. Prayer has power. So what does Nehemiah pray on this occasion? Well, he shows that true and effective prayer comes right from our heart. No fancy words. He just says, Lord, strengthen my hands. And his prayers answered. His hands are strengthened. And so he's strong for the next enemy action. A different tactic. This time, unexpected temptation. 
Shemaiah said, let's meet in the house of God inside the temple. This is a really underhand plan now. He says, earlier on, Nehemiah says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was shut in at his home. So this guy has been seen as a prophet and he gets Nehemiah to visit him at home. If you like, he's self-isolating and he says, come and visit me. Then he tries to make Nehemiah afraid using intimidation, even false prophecy. He says, there's people coming to kill you. They're going to come, and come at night. Some people's worst fears. You know, somebody's coming, going to come at night and they're going to kill you. But in this plan, the underlying plan is to get Nehemiah to sin by going into the temple, probably into the Holy of Holies, which was forbidden to all except the high priest to enter once a year. Satan's tactics are old. If our enemy can discredit us by leading us into sin, then he will. But Nehemiah has prayed, remember? And he's strong enough now. He's had his hands strengthened. He's strong enough to see it for what it is and to resist. So his counterattack is stand firm in the opposite spirit. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, says that to be effective in spiritual warfare, we must know our enemy, know our authority and know how to fight. And here Nehemiah shows that he knows all three. He doesn't wield any physical weapon, but he knows his enemy. He sees what he's doing. He knows his authority. He says, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? What does he mean by a man like me? Well, he means a man, he knows who he is. He knows his authority. He knows he's called. He knows God has protected him so far and his God will keep on protecting him. So he doesn't need to be fearful and seek to sin in order to save his own life. He knows how to fight. He's prayed and he knows the word of God. He knows that this would be wrong. Surely, he's saying, God has watched over me so far and he'll continue to watch over me. And he's, it says in verse 12, I realized God had not sent him, but he'd been hired to intimidate me so I would commit a sin and they would discredit me. So he gets determined now and he gets back to work. He says, I won't give up or give in. So what's the result? Well, the task is finished. It says the wall was completed. The gates are put in place. The enemies, it says, lose their confidence and God is praised. So that is Nehemiah's story. He sees this spiritual battle. He's alert to the intentions of his enemies and he isn't taken in. He refuses to be distracted and he counter attacks. So what about us, church? What walls are we building? Let's make sure we're building the right ones. We're not being distracted to build something that God doesn't even want us to build. What tactics are being used right now by our enemy to distract us? This is just repackaged for today. The disciple Peter, he knew this spiritual battle well. He'd faced temptation and given in to temptation. And he had been restored by Jesus. And he writes in his letter, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert, stay alert. Win the war in the spiritual. Do you know your biggest issue, my biggest issue is more spiritual than we think it is. We are at war. C.S. Lewis said, enemy occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. So let's just apply these lessons from Nehemiah to us because our ultimate enemy is the same. Enemy tactic number one, sidetrack them. 
I was thinking of myself, just go upstairs to get a book, I might say. Oh, pop into the bedroom, put away those socks. Oh, I'm just caught by the dust on the top of there just to wipe that off. Actually, that doesn't happen that often. Uh, open the drawer. Oh, that's where I left my watch. Oh, I'll just pop a bit of lipstick on or I'll try this on. Oh, I need to put milk on my shopping list. Oh, my phone just buzzed. It's from my mum. I must make a note to call her back. I'll do that now. I'll get my workbook. Oh, I'm thirsty. I'll just get a drink of water. Oh, yes. What did I come up for? Oh, yeah, I came up for that book. And I spot another book on the bookshelf that looks interesting. I'll put that aside. I'll read that later. But I might just read the blurb on the back. Just meanwhile and so on and so on. Our minds can flip. On a bigger scale, oh so easily, our lives can get distracted and sometimes without us even realising. So what's our equivalent of, come and meet us down in the villages? Look here, look there, forget your mission, forget your purpose, forget your calling. Get busy with making money, sidetracked by worries. You need to build your own security because maybe God won't look after you. Whatever it is for us, what will be our counter-attack? Our counter-attack is we refuse to lower ourselves. We will not go down. I'm about a great work. I'm going to take Jesus at his word when he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and everything you need will be given to you. I'll look after you, he says, if you are a radical disciple. Enemy tactic number two is pile on the pressure. Four times, it says about Nehemiah, they sent the same message to him. Sometimes I get this sense when I feel there is spiritual pressure around particularly and I need to pray. It's like a pricking behind my eyes. I know that sounds strange, but a pricking behind my eyes and a sort of heaviness in my head. And I know it's time to rise up on the inside and to pray fervently, to persist. What's our counterattack to the enemy here is we will keep on keeping on. Every time Nehemiah gave the same answer back because he was confident it was God's answer. Let our answer to the enemy of our souls be Jesus' answer. And how do we know what Jesus' answer is? Well, we use the one offensive weapon that he has given us, the word of God, and we keep on using it. In the early days of our marriage, David and I were part of something called the Course for World Christians. It was a radical mission course, and we would have an early morning prayer meeting. Um, I remember that being on a Monday morning, I think very, very early in the morning, and then going in and doing a full day as a teacher. Now, at that point in my life, I think I had a tendency, it perhaps came through family traits of tending to feel a bit low, a bit anxious at times. I often feel a pressure in my head and just feel a bit inadequate. I remember one morning feeling I should literally, while we were worshipped on this prayer time from the course that we were on, picking up an invisible broom, which might sound strange, but I just felt God say, sweep these things out of your life. And I remember just saying something like, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Get out fear, get out depression, get out anxiety. And I'm not saying I never struggled again, but that was a key moment. I knew that something had shifted and changed and I was never the same again. I remember sitting at my desk after that, before the children came into the classroom, and knowing I'm different, I'm not the same. We shout, we sing, we speak the word of God. It's a sword and it's higher than all our feelings and higher than every other thing. God says, I've exalted above all things my name and my word, and it's more powerful than any word of Satan. Enemy tactic number three is tell lies. Nehemiah was lied to and lied about, and this is always the work of the devil. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning, 
not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. It's very powerful to get people, when we pray with them, to nail any lies that they've believed to the cross and to break the power that they have had over them. It's worth asking Jesus what lies we might be believing about ourselves, about him, about other people. Our counterattack is to look up. Nehemiah saw what was behind the lies. This week I read James 1.25, which encourages us to focus on um, the word. And next to what I was reading there, I was reading actually a book that a godly lady had lent me and in the, just in the margin, she'd penciled Jesus next to the word, the word that brings life. We're to stay focused on the word because then we can replace the lies with the truth, but we also to stay focused on Jesus, the living word, the word who became flesh. Kiki Liley wrote about that recently in a weekly blog on our TLC website about the bride keeping her eyes on the bridegroom. We're to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus if we're to avoid attack. Sometimes we need to replace those lies with the truth by looking at Jesus too and looking into his word. For me, I might have said years ago, I'm quiet and shy and no one wants to listen to me. But Jesus said to me from Isaiah, the sovereign Lord has given you an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens you morning by morning to listen like one being taught. And I believe that he has given me that scripture and that gift and, and that is part of my life now. You might have lies in your head like you were, you were a mistake or I'll never amount to much or I'm rejected or unwanted or ugly or stupid or weak. Look up and see the lies for what they are and bring them to the cross and hear the truth and declare the truth. Enemy tactic number four, intimidate them. Nehemiah was surrounded by many enemies. Our enemy too wants us to feel in the minority. He wants us to feel our case is hopeless and that we can never make a difference. But our counterattack is, but we pray. Somebody said, until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. And Nehemiah knew the power of prayer. Sometimes we need to face a situation and think a bit like a doctor, just diagnosis, what's the enemy's plan here? Prognosis, what might God's better plan be? And prescription, what can I, what can we do now prayerfully? And what can we do practically to thwart Satan's plan and to bring in God's better purposes? One example might be as we go and do our go weekends um, next weekend, as we go out in our campus areas, that we are bringing the kingdom in a positive way. We're coming in a different spirit and we're seeing in the spiritual. Maybe we'll pray some targeted prayers around our areas. And praying in the spirit is a great thing to do. Praying in tongues and just thinking about those things while we pray in tongues because the Lord can help us how to pray. And finally, enemy tactic number five. Send unexpected temptation. For Nehemiah, this was a sideswipe. It was underhand Go and save yourself. Run into the Holy of Holies. Some temptation is obvious. Some is subtle. But it can come unexpectedly. Often comes when we're feeling unprepared or tired. Temptation to compromise, to sin sexually, to say, to do, to think what is wrong. Or not to do what is right. Or just to give in to fear, to worry, or so and so on. What's our counterattack is stand in the opposite spirit. Nehemiah did the opposite of what his enemies wanted. He built the wall. He didn't allow distractions. And Paul says, the temptations in our life are no different from what others experience. 
God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so you can endure. We're not to panic. Recognize what the enemy is trying to do and simply take our stand by doing the opposite. Let's run as fast as we can from temptation. One evening, a lady sat down with her husband and did something very brave. She told him that for many months, she'd felt increasingly attracted to a man who she met on her regular train commute to work. She realized that she was looking forward to their talk so much each day. And she did something brave. She looked her husband in the eye and she said, I'm so sorry, nothing's happened yet, but it could. What should I do? Now her husband was a very understanding man because he just sat quietly and then he said, get a later train. We need to run from temptation, do whatever it takes to get out of that situation, to get away from what might cause us to fall into sin and go with the opposite spirit. Don't be distracted. Do you know we take a stand against our enemy every time we preach the gospel, every time we share Jesus, thinking again of our go weekend, we're coming in the opposite spirit to what the enemy wants. Every time we pray for someone, every time we show kindness in an unkind office environment, every time we overcome racism by making friends across the cultures, every time we care for the poor, every time we create something beautiful, the list is endless. And what's the result? So the wall was completed. For Nehemiah, the task was finished. The enemy is defeated, at least for now, and God was praised. So let's also, like Nehemiah, set our hearts to be strong, to finish strong and to be alert to our enemy's tactics, not to be distracted, not to be discouraged, but put our counterattacks into practice. Let's hold the line until that final day of victory when our Lord Jesus returns to bring victory everywhere. So let's just pray for a moment as we finish. Firstly, there's no neutral ground in this world. So it also follows there's no neutral people. I would encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus, pick a side. Are you for Jesus? Are you against Jesus? There's really no middle ground. Either you want to know him and follow him, or you don't. I encourage you today to say yes to Jesus, ask him to forgive you for your sins and welcome him into your life. And please tell somebody or email into TLC and let us know that's what you've done and we'll help you on your journey further. Secondly, let's just pray for all the rest of us. Let's just take a moment to reflect and bring ourselves to Jesus. He says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You may just want to say in your own heart, where have I been distracted? What are the enemy's tactics that he's using in my life right now? And what is the counterattack that I can bring in the name of Jesus? How can I take my stand? Well, Father, I just pray for myself. I pray for all those listening today, watching online, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hands. Give us discernment to see what the enemy is doing and give us also discernment to see how much greater you are and that greater in me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.